Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Folks, welcome back. <clears throat> you are still listening to The Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio st- uh, program. We are uh, free from the shackles of the FCC censors, and we are now in overtime. So appreciate everybody staying tuned. We got some good stuff for you. Um, but let's finish up. <clears throat> let's finish up Boss Watch. Let's do that here at the top. Um, because there's some other stuff here in Boss Watch that I wanted to make sure that y'all, um, that, that I, that I told y'all, um, on the, the thieves from Alabama, there was a, the, there was something that I wanted to make sure to pass on. Uh, some background information. In Alabama, the division, uh, uh, the Wage and Hour Division of the Department of Labor has recovered more than $500,000 waiting to be claimed for some uh, 1,500 workers and offers a workers owed wages search tool that people can use to see if they are owed back wages collected by the agency. So workers who feel they may not be getting the wages they earned or are misclassified as as independent contractors may contact a wage and hour division representative in their state through a list and interactive online map on the agency's website. So check that out if you reckon that uh, that, that maybe it's possible that your employer uh, was one of the people that stole from people. Um and are not getting any criminal charges, obviously. <clears throat> in Tennessee, the nation's largest Bojangles franchise owner, and this makes me really sad because I'm a big Bojangles fan. I don't know. Um, I don't know if also uh, a Bojangles if, fan. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've talked about this on the radio, but like Bojangles, um, got me through college. <laughs> like I would go there almost. Uh. uh certainly an unhealthy amount because uh <laughs> during college i could get a, a cajun fillet biscuit and an individual mm-hmm. serving of bow rounds for like five bucks oh no and uh, uh, uh cajun fillet biscuit individual serving of bow rounds and a cinnamon biscuit for five bucks dude Holy not anymore God. brother not anymore no i know because i still got th- i still get that exact that same exact um meal and it is now like 768 or something so still pretty cheap, but not $5 anymore. So anyway, now that I have, have glazed Bojangles. Um, uh, let's tear them down. Yeah, let's tear them down. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've built them up. Yes. Yeah. Great chicken biscuits. Yeah, um, great chicken biscuits. I can, uh, I can unfortunately definitely. Unfortunately, made by children yeah. in some instances. So uh, mm. the largest Bojangles franchise owner will make enterprise-wide changes to improve working conditions for minor-aged employees in compliance with federal uh, labor regulations at their 118 locations in Georgia, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Hey, 
not Alabama. So uh, the our Bojangles are fine, uh, hopefully. After entering an enhanced compliance agreement with the U.S. Department of Labor, the agreement comes after investigators with the department's wage and hour division found uh, Bojangles of WNC LLC, based in Arden, North Carolina, violated federal child labor laws at a Bojangles location in Powell. This is the second time in less than two years that the division has cited the company for similar violations. Specifically, the division determined that Bojangles of WNC employed 13 children to work at the Powell restaurant after 7 p.m. between Labor Day and June 1st, more than three hours during a school day, and during school hours, all of which violated the child labor provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act. In addition, the company employed three 15-year-olds to use an oven for baking biscuits and a manual grease fryer tasks the department has identified as hazardous for young workers. The agency assessed Bojangles with a $27,000 civil money penalty for allowing similar working hour violations as those identified in March 2022 at a Bojangles in Spartanburg, South Carolina. In that case, 16 minor aged employees were affected in the division assessed $11,000 in civil money penalties. Not very much for uh, child abuse. Working people abuse children. We go to jail. As part of the agreement, Bojangles of WNC will take the following steps to, to ensure future compliance. They will stop 14 and 15-year-olds from using manual fryers or engaging in cooking activities in any of the occupations prohibited under the law. The employer will also post written notices on equipment not permitted for use by minor-aged employees in its stores. They will refrain from employing uh, 14 and 15-year-olds to work outside of legally described hours, and they will distribute a copy of the child labor provisions uh, of the FLSA to all current and future locations basically they're gonna they're gonna follow the law they say so here we go uh i mean just twenty seven thousand dollars man uh 118 locations this is just bizarre in florida a 36 year old mower operator drowned after the mower rolled over in a pond pinning the worker underwater. Federal workplace safety inspectors determined the employer could have avoided the incident by following required safety measures outlined in the equipment operator's manual. An investigation into the July 4th, 2023 incident by the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration found the employee of Truescapes Industries in Bradenton was riding a zero-turn lawnmower in a residential neighborhood when it tipped over into a water retention pond. Investigators learned the machine's rollover protection system was not engaged while operating on a sloping embankment near the pond, and the equipment was operated on a slope that exceeded the limitations defined in the equipment manual. OSHA cited the employer for one willful violation for not having a rollover protection system in use and for operating the equipment on a steep slope, and one serious violation for not providing potable water for drinking. OSHA proposed $166,000 in penalties. The agency cited Truescapes after a similarly fatal incident in Bradenton in July of 2015. In that investigation, OSHA issued Truescapes Industries five serious citations and proposed $18,000 in penalties. And this is something that's that's very funny because this is this is the industry that those uh, you know uh, uh, entrepreneurs that we talked to who had a podcast who um, stopped doing their podcast. Uh, they're like you know. Uh, uh, landscaping people and they were talking to us about how oh it's so we got to take so much risk because if if, a, if one of our workers dies uh then then we'll get put under the jail obviously this is not true this uh company has killed not one but two people 
and uh, they're only facing fines. So, <clears throat> pretty gross. Had several dishonorable mentions. The U.S. Department of Labor has recovered $47,000 in back wages and liquidated damages for two former employees of two separate Tennessee-based health care providers, WellPath LLC and White's Creek Wellness, that violated their rights to protective leave under the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act. A global electric vehicle battery manufacturer, SK Battery America Incorporated, exposed employees at its Commerce Georgia plant to serious and potentially disabling safety and health hazards at a, a U.S. Department of Labor workplace and safety investigation found. OSHA proposed $75,000 in penalties. U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division investigators found that two Myrtle Beach, Florida daycare facilities, both operated by Kids Paradise, failed to pay overtime for hours worked over 40 in a work week to 61 employees. As required by the Fair Labor Standards Act, the division recovered $47,000 in back wages for these 61 workers. The U.S. Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division investigators found that Victoria Espinoza and Nora Carlon, owners of two North Florida restaurants, required some workers to arrive before the restaurant opened to prep for the day's shift and to clean at the end of their shifts after clocking out for the day. By doing so, they committed a minimum wage violation of the Fair Labor Standards Act. $124,000 in back wages and liquidated damages was recovered for 39 workers, and they assessed $4,000 in civil money penalties. And finally, a former pastor, Philip Brian Box, who now works at a Florida-based private Christian school, is facing theft charges after he allegedly stole nearly $9,000 from the Alabama Coroner's Association, according to court records. Just another indication that if you steal from corporations, you're going to get smacked with a theft charge. Even if it's only $9,000. But if you steal 125000 from 40 people, all you got to do is pay it back if you're a boss. It's insane. It's crazy. Okay. So there we go. That's Boss Watch, folks. Um, have we got the Clark County uh, uh, Education Association guy on the line yet? I do not see them at this time. That's fine. So, um, uh, Matt Iglesias, uh, Adam, you are familiar with Matt Iglesias, right? You're a big fan. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say a big fan, but I am familiar, unfortunately, uh, that he's, he's got a lot of hot takes. Yes. A lot, a lot of, of centrist hot takes. hot takes. Yeah. A lot of hot takes. Adam's a big fan, religiously follows his work and agrees with almost all of it. Um, so he wrote a, uh, an op-ed in Bloomberg.com titled Musk Shows Why the U.S. Labor Movement Faces Long Odds. Um, and so basically, the, the and, and, and you know. Can I just stop you there? It's already <laughs> off to a bad start. It's already <laughs> off to a bad start. You've name dropped Elon Musk. You're on Bloomberg.com. Mm -hmm. And Matt Iglesias is going to give us Yep. You know, the inside scoop on what really is going on with America's labor movement. Right. All right. right. So I think we're in for something here. Yeah. We're uh, in for something. Thankfully, and I don't know what we're in for. Uh, so <laughs> it'll be a shock. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, and now, you know, unfortunately, I'm not able to read the entire article because it is paywalled. Uh, but a friend of the show, Hamilton Nolan, uh, clipped, uh, screenshotted an interesting piece of the, uh, of the article. And that's what I'm going to be responding to. So, so, you know, uh, so I guess, I guess just to be fair, to be very charitable, 
it's possible that Hamilton Nolan cut out a piece of the article and right before it, he said, uh, Matt Iglesias said, you know, this would be something that a dumb person says, you know, and then he debunks it later in the article and Hamilton Nolan is just trying to get a cheap dunk on Twitter. You know, that's possible, right? That's not out of the realm of possibility. But um, from the clip, uh, from the screenshot of the article and um, from other conversation about it that I've seen on Twitter, basically the gist seems to be, uh, uh, the gist does seem to be pointing to a real problem, but he way overstates it. And he, he actually kind of falls into the problem and basically does some propaganda for the boss. And he says the problem is that, you know, union contracts basically, uh, you know, show non-union automakers where they need to go to keep the union out basically and so as long as non-union automakers raise the wages to be you know relatively competitive with union automakers which they're trying to do they're still you know significantly noticeably behind where the union automakers are but they're giving out these races and so matt iglesias the 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 the, the point of the article seems to be basically that you know uh that makes it difficult to win a union and the thing that's really kind of galling is that um so here's here's the uh here's the snapshot that hamilton posted the ferociously anti-union ceo responded to a surge in organizing activity at tesla factories by announcing preemptive wage increases essentially giving his non-union workers the vast majority of what they could have won with a union contract. That's a classic move in industries where competition between union and non-union firms. When a union drive becomes plausible, the non-union companies respond with a mix of carrots and sticks. And yes, that's correct. But the wage increases do not essentially give non-union workers the vast majority of what they could have won with a union contract. That's just not true. And saying that really does, you know, a disservice to the public and to auto auto workers who may be you know seeing this or hearing this this argument peripherally, like look, you know, you're getting basically all that you're gonna uh, all that you would have gotten with a union contract, and that's just not true. And Hamilton points rightly so uh, to you know the the UAW contract that that is being discussed. Like if you just actually look at it, and then look at what Tesla employees how, what their compensation package is, it's like uh you know hugely different. It's hugely different. Uh, and, and, you know, so the idea that, that he thinks, and it just shows his lack of understanding about, you know, what the UAW contract, this whole big thing that was a big part of the news for months, he obviously was not following it closely because he has no idea what's in it. It's bonkers. And so some of the things that, you know, the UAW contract gives that tesla doesn't provide are you know for one you've got to negotiate everything right you can't the the boss can't just say like okay i'm gonna change this and then do it you got to actually negotiate there are uh they have a pension right at most of these places and where they don't they have a 401k 100 percent employer paid health insurance um they have the right to strike over plant closures uh there's just a lot of stuff that the uaw members have in the union in the uh, union plants that Tesla is of course not going, uh, not giving because uh, you know, that's the whole reason he doesn't want the union in is so he doesn't have to give away these benefits. So 
Yeah. And we do have our guest on the line now, just so you are All aware. Right. Adam, is there anything else that you wanted to say about that, or is that uh, basically it? No, I, I think you got it. I just, yeah, I think it's a mistake to say that that encompasses, you know, all that you get out of a union contract and like having representation on the floor, uh, being able to pursue, you know, grievances, being able to just have protection, uh, to have safety committees, everything that comes with a union contract cannot be just boiled down to wage gains. And I think that's a, you know, a really simplistic mistake to make. Uh, and like you said, a disservice to the folks reading it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, really it, it just, that's kind of his shtick is being this, this guy who pretends to have an expertise in basically everything who actually knows very little about most of the stuff that he comments on. Um, that's kind of his shtick and he, he, uh, continued his shtick with this article in Bloomberg. So, all right. Uh, so our next guest is from the uh, Clark County Education Association. Really excited for this conversation. Uh, the Clark County Education Association uh, represents uh, teachers in Las Vegas. And we now have the executive director of the uh, Clark County Education Association on to talk to us about their new contract that they just won and the new campaign that they are embarking on. Um, uh, John, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Um, really excited about this conversation. And, you know, before we jump into the the contract talk, can you talk to us about, uh, you know, just what got you involved in the labor movement and, uh, you know, what brought you to the position that you're in today? Too long for this show. I've got uh, <laughs> four decades into this. It's really about trying to make a difference for working people. That's the simplest way I can put it. There you go. There you go. That's that's the right reason. And so the talking about this contract with Las Vegas teachers, I was talking to um, uh, uh, Paula about this and it was really shocking, um, especially the compensation packages of Las Vegas teachers. Can you give us just a background understanding of the, the, the compensation package and the working conditions of Las Vegas teachers uh, over the past few years? Well, I think it's first important to understand that the Clark County School District is the fifth largest school district in the country. There's over 300,000 students. These are mainly working class students of color. Um, and Nevada, which is primarily based on two industries, you know, gaming and uh, mining, historically really has never invested in public education in this state. So the funding levels have been historically low, ranked nationally near the bottom a lot of times. And the reason is pretty simple. Those industries don't need an educated workforce, right? So they're not going to invest in it. It hasn't become a real high priority. Now of recent, I would say over the last several years, you know, we've been trying to lead the efforts to make it more of a priority to get the kind of funding that uh, we need in these classrooms for these kids and for these educators to do what they do. And so this contract, I think, is the result of about, you know, maybe six years work um, 
in, in this state, you know, most of the funding for public education comes from the state. The state has a political pro or state government process that's called a citizen government, which means that they only meet every two years. Uh, and uh, when they meet, they have a session for 120 days. And so you then have to live the with the consequences of what comes out of that session for two years. So we take that pretty serious. And each session that we go into, we try to advance progress in public education, whether it's on the funding level or whether it's on good policy that makes sure that these kids learn and that these frontline educators have support. So this contract, like I said, is the the uh, results of you know several years' work, it, it, essentially starting up in the state government, securing the kind of funding that we need before it got down to the school district. And in the end, it was designed to give significant uh, salary increases to our frontline educators, to give additional money for those educators that are in challenging schools and classrooms. Uh, you know, 70% of our student population is on free and reduced lunch. So we have, you know, almost 200 schools that are Title I schools. Uh, and out of that, you know, about 160 of those have 82% uh, of all the vacancies. The vacancy levels in this school district amount to about 30,000 kids each year don't have a teacher, they have a substitute. And so the vacancies are in the numbers of anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000, right? And the teachers that we represent is over 18,000. So the, the salary increases were designed to address the vacancy issue, to try to give people a boost in pay, to keep them here, as well as to be competitive to recruit people and in more so to be very surgical to try to get teachers into these high need schools mm. so, where these kids can get a teacher in every classroom. The deal was worth 750 million bucks. The legislature dumped $2.5 billion in their last session in uh, public education in this state. So when you do the math, we got about a third of it uh, and we tried to get it into the pocketbooks of these teachers. That, that's pretty significant. And, you know, you said that a big part of it was the salary increase. What was the uh, what was the starting salary for teachers in Las Vegas and in Clark County before this contract? Well, before this contract, it was about 50,000 and the top pay was a little under 100,000. With this contract, the entry level uh, by the second year will be almost 60,000 and the top pay will be almost $142,000. So a pretty significant jump. It's very competitive with the Western United States. SoCal in particular, LA Unified, mm -hmm. for example, which is the second largest school district in the country. That is, uh, that, like you said, that's a huge jump. And the reason I, I wanted you to say that is because that when Paula told me that about the um, the starting salary before this contract, that absolutely baffled me because it is it was not that much higher than starting salary for Alabama teachers. Um, Alabama teachers starting salary is is forty three thousand something. Right, Adam? 
Yeah, something around those lines in the in the low to mid forties. And so you know, only six seven thousand uh, dollars above what teachers in in Alabama is making is is uh, you know that's that's pretty close, and the cost of living in Las Vegas is. <laughs> Uh, not very close. So, um, I you know, starting at fifty thousand dollars a year in in Las Vegas, I imagine, uh, was was very difficult, and I could see why you know the Clark County, uh, um, you know, school districts were having a difficult time recruiting. Yeah, I mean, look, nationally, there's a teacher shortage, so it's a teacher's market. You can go pretty much anywhere you want in this country. Because, you know, a lot of people have not gone into the profession. And why? Right. Because the profession hasn't been valued as it was once. And so, the, the you know, lifting the compensation package is, you know, part of that effort to try to catapult it back up there. Were there any uh, were there any other big wins in this contract uh, that you think would be worth talking about? Well, I mean, you know, we made some significant improvement around, you know, our, our health insurance for these teachers. We got almost a 20% increase on employer contributions to our uh, self-funded nonprofit uh, uh, health plan for these teachers. You know, we got uh, additional pay for any minute worked after their contract day. It mm. used to be like $31.50. We got it up to 50 bucks. Um, you know, there and we we started the school year where these uh, teachers took a cut of 1.875 percent in pay for their public uh, pension plan, mm. and we got that restored of 1.875 percent too. So when you really look at the total package, even though there was a 10 percent the first year and an 8 percent the second year. On average, uh, the range of increases is anywhere from 23% to 34% for these teachers, which is pretty significant. Right. And and especially over a two-year period, you know, we're used to, we, we've been used to union contracts, you know, 30%, but over three, four, or even five years, right? 30% over two years is, is very significant. Um Something that I was told about about the contract campaign is is that it it was very slow going and it was difficult to get the um the school district to take the negotiations seriously. Uh, can you talk to us about the timeline and and why it was that it took so long for them to get serious? Well, let me, let me kind of put it in context. On March thirtieth, twenty twenty three. Uh, we started our negotiations with the school district and what we put on the table is what we ended on in a settlement on December 20th, 2023. So it was a nine-month struggle, right? And it wasn't because the district never had the money. I mean, we we played a significant role in helping to secure the money at the state level to you know draw it down to the district level. It was really about priorities and whether or not the district wanted to make the type of investment in compensation that we we felt or our members felt really was needed. And so there, there was this, you know, essential um, uh, roadblock uh, that was based on uh, the priority issue, and it got very contentious and got very ugly. And but before we even started the negotiation process, we had essentially reached our limits with the school administration and had publicly called for either the resignation or the termination of the superintendent. So imagine for a moment you're about to go into negotiations 
and the union has said, you know, this guy's got to go. We don't, we don't want this guy around. <clears throat> you know, we did a lot of TV ads. We did a lot of canvassing in different districts. I mean, just to put a lot of pressure on these guys because he's a liability to, to public education. So, so that contributed to it. You know, it was like, uh, okay, union, we're going to take you on and we're going to beat you. And, you know, the results are the results. They lost, we won, and now we're, we're moving forward with the next step but it was a lengthy process these educators hung in there i don't know how many rallies we had we had uh i mean you know dozens of massive rallies half a dozen massive meetings where we had several thousand educators we had a lot of rallies in front of the schools many of them involved students and parents we had six mm -hmm. high school students walk out of school in support of these teachers during this struggle. We had a half a dozen uh, schools that engaged in these kind of wildcat uh, sick outs on their own, which, you know, caused us to get dinged in court for, you know, essentially embarking on an illegal strike. But what I'm trying to suggest, there was a lot of momentum, there was a lot of right. unity. And even though we didn't have the right to strike of this state, people were pretty they were prepared to to uh, win it and take whatever they needed to do and as long as they needed to do to achieve that. Is there any um, you know bargaining strategy that y'all had that 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 you would want to share that that you feel like would be instructive for teachers in other states or 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 anybody that's you know bargaining their contract now? You know, I think it varies by industry, and I think it varies by school district, and I think it varies based on funding levels. It varies based on relationships and and the politics of a school board and all that. So, you know, I, I would be you know not too inclined to try to give anybody advice, except that if you don't have your members and they're not organized and they're not, you know, um, you know, supportive of the fight, particularly if the fight takes on a very protracted nature, right? Mm -hmm. Because at some point it becomes a fight of attrition. The other side waits to see whether or not there's a break in your ranks and people are ready to settle. And so that would be an advice I would suggest. But most people that have done this kind of stuff and have been successful, they know that already. So I wouldn't be giving them any advice they don't already know. Right, right. Uh, and and what was the mechanism that that finally did settle the the negotiations? Well, I think what ultimately beyond the steadfast unity and perseverance of our members, it's our political influence. Mm. I mean, we're an organization, and and I have no idea who you have on your show in terms of labor organizations. But we have no loyalty to any political party. So we'll work with anybody that works with our issues, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican. And in the state of Nevada, we have split government right now. The Democrats control the legislative branch and the Republicans control the executive branch, the governorship. And so we work with the leadership of both parties, both branches of government. And, uh, you know, we had done that not overnight, but over the last several years. And I think it's that kind of relationship building or, or that's based on issues, not partisan politics, paid mm -hmm. off because both the speaker and the majority leader of the, of the legislature came out and called for the firing of the superintendent during this, this contract dispute. Wow. The governor was behind the scenes essentially, you know, 
telling telling uh, the school district settle never came to us and said, "Hey, you guys need to compromise," because he knew wow. what we were proposing was the right thing. So, so, so I think you know that played a role. You know, starts with your membership, and then I think the political influence we had played a role. Uh, but in the end, the mechanism for a settlement is, is in this state is binding arbitration, right? And so we don't have the right to strike. In 1969, uh, teachers in Clark County essentially had a couple of walkouts and the gaming industry, you know, had fits over that because their workers, uh, kids that were in these schools were not in these schools. And so they didn't show up to work. So in any event, a law was passed prohibiting the right to strike for public sector workers. But in exchange for that, you know, we got uh, what's called binding arbitration. <clears throat> and binding arbitration is, you know, if, the, if there's impasse in negotiations, then you get an arbitrator, a neutral third party. You have so many sessions and then you, you know, either a decision is made by the arbitrator. It's, it's baseball arbitration, by the way. They either take our proposal or the district's proposal. Uh, it, short of that, them rendering a decision that way, they can order the parties back to the table and negotiate an agreement. And that's, in fact, what happened here. And the arbitrator just accepted that negotiated agreement as his decision. But the problem is, for us, is it took a long time, right? And right. this is the fourth arbitration we've had in the last 10, 11, 12 years. And, you know, the longest arbitration process for us took a year and a half. The shortest one took seven months. So, it, mm. you know, it, it's a system that doesn't work. And that's why we put on our agenda that we're going to we're going to change the law. Yes. Yeah. You, that that has been, as far as I can tell, a big impetus for your uh, the new campaign that y'all are embarking on uh, to try to uh, change the way that, uh, you know, these negotiations can be resolved in the state of Nevada. Can you talk to us about uh, your new campaign? Yeah, so we're going to file an initiative petition, a statutory uh, ballot initiative that essentially allows educators in the state of Nevada the right to strike. And so that requires, you know, a little over 100,000 signatures of voters in the four congressional districts here. You know, we've got till November of this year to get those signatures. We're going to do it. We're very confident we've done this before. We've gone to and used the initiative petition to move uh, policy and move funding up in uh, the state government. So we're very, very confident that this is going to happen. But what happens is once we qualify those signatures before it goes to the 2026 election uh, cycle uh, for for uh, voters to vote on, it goes before the Nevada legislature and the governor in 2025. Mm -hmm. And they have 40 days to act on that uh, initiative petition. They either can accept it, they can reject it, and if they reject it, we can go to the ballot. Or, you know, there might be some kind of compromise worked out, and if that's the case, if we still don't want to, you know, take it to the people in 2026, we can withdraw the initiative petition. But that's what we're doing. We're essentially, and that's a significant uh, resource issue, and, and that's one of the things that our organization is fortunate to have is the type of resources to play politics, hardball politics in the state of Nevada. I, I failed to say at the beginning of this meeting, we, we are an independent 
Teachers Union. We're the largest independent teachers union in the country, as well as in the state of Nevada. So we're local controlled, if you will. So every every penny of dues that are paid by an educator is controlled by the local, which affords us the opportunity to do things like these ballot initiatives. That's interesting. So the Clark County Education Association is not affiliated with the National Education Association. No, we broke away in 2018, pretty bitter legal fight, but we broke away, got our freedom, and it's been nothing but smooth sailing since. <laughs> Adam worked for the wow. NEA affiliate here in Alabama, and uh, I'm uh, and worked is the operative word, past tense, and so uh, I'm sure that he has some <clears throat> feelings about that, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I just wanted to applaud y'all for the fight uh, and for showing the fight uh I, I think that's really important because here in Alabama, educators, you know, as a former educator, we don't have collective bargaining. We don't have the right to strike. Um, you know, we're facing conditions that in other states would, would be totally unacceptable. Uh, but I just really applaud the fight of the Clark County Education Association. And like you said, playing hardball politics and being willing to go to the people, because I think the people are behind educators and are behind working class folks more broadly. Uh, and so I'm, yeah, I'm wishing y'all much success. And I really am looking forward to seeing this happen. I think this is, you know, a historic thing for public sector workers to, to regain rights that have been lost, right? We've been losing for so many decades as working people uh, to see our unions fight to to regain what has been lost, uh, I think is a really big deal. So I really appreciate what y'all are doing. Yeah, thanks. And so, you know, you're interested, you're, you're going to be pushing for the right to strike for educators in Nevada. And, and, and so if you could, you know, explain to us what the benefit of that would be. You know, why do you want to? Uh, um, uh, why do you want educators to have the right to strike? You know, I mean, the common uh, <clears throat> one of the uh, responses would be that, oh, you just hate the children, right? That's why every teacher goes into the profession is they just hate kids. Um, so, uh, <laughs> is that why y'all want the right to strike? Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, we don't take this lightly, and we don't take the issue. Uh, for granted among parents, among businesses, et cetera. So we've done a lot of outreach even before we filed this ballot initiative. And we actually did some uh, field research, some polling to see where people were at. Let me just say this. This last struggle took nine months. These kids suffered in those nine months more than if we had been on strike for two days. Mm. And that's that's part of our argument. If we had the right, we would tip there would be a more equal level playing field in terms of the power balance with this school district. And we believe very strongly that this this contract would have been settled a lot quicker, right, with the benefits getting into the classroom and trying to get more teachers in front of these kids that don't have teachers. And so our argument with, with the community and parents in particular is the system doesn't work and yeah, it's very easy and in a very self-serving way. I can explain to you how it hurts teachers, but I can also provide enough evidence to show you how it hurts kids mm. because kids aren't learning during this period, right? They're, they're a victim of this dysfunctional uh, law that exists. And so that's that's in part why you know, we, we take very serious what we're doing and, and we want the support of the parents and with the business community we're basically saying 
you know, look, we're not asking you for to support it. We're just telling you stay out of the fight. That with the, the community can decide this issue. You don't have to decide this issue. So. No, I think that I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and and uh, I think that you know absolutely, you know I, I think that there's there's a, a certain argument that you know that it's just fundamentally a worker's right to strike. I think that that's uh, that that's also you know really important. But there are, as you just laid out, a lot of practical reasons why you know basically every interested party uh, should support this measure. Uh, it would have good outcomes for. Uh, uh, for all involved. And so looking forward to seeing y'all uh, winning on that, just like you did on the contract. And and before we let you go, um, I, I did have a, a couple of uh, things I was wondering about the contract. Did y'all have in, in the contract, were you able to get anything on um, parental leave or um, uh, planning time protections, uh, special education caseload limits or class size limits, Any anything uh, along those lines in the contract? No, no substantive uh, change on those fronts. Really, what drove uh, this settlement was the fiscal component, right? Mm. So you you can't reduce class sizes if you don't have teachers, right? Mm. And so you're not going to have teachers unless you're going to pay them to stay and pay to have them come in, right? And and caseloads the same with special ed. One of the uh, additional compensation we got was another five thousand dollars on their base pay for all special ed teachers because we have vacancies there as well. So you're not going to address these caseloads, these class sizes until you address the vacancies issue. And so that's where the priority was. Gotcha. Right. You've got to have the educators in the classroom, right? And and so you have to be able to recruit and retain those. And I, I think, you know, it's just, you can't emphasize it enough. I know it's a slogan, but the educators' working conditions really are the students' learning conditions. And so when you have vacant classrooms because you won't pay to, to recruit and retain qualified folks, that's impacting these kids and these families. Uh, and so I think, you know, the the contract gains that y'all provided here uh, and that your members helped win is going to really impact the whole community. It's going to uplift folks uh, throughout the community. And so it's really to be celebrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, we're not taking for granted that there's going to be a light switch of success overnight, right? And and now, you know, we're going to take on the burden of uh, trying to demonstrate success, that these kind of gains will result in getting more teachers in a classroom, having better student outcomes because of that. And so we're not going to just walk away from our responsibility. Why? Because we, you know, we had tremendous support in this this fight from the public because they saw it and they the, the need for it. And now, you know, it's our burden as well to make sure, okay, we, we want your kids to learn and we want to show improvement on that front. So it's not one of these things where we win and then we walk away and we say, okay, next time, let's just get ready for another fight. It's like the, the fight now is to improve education particularly, and I'll say this again, these are working class kids of color. Many of them live in poverty and they're not gonna have an opportunity in this country unless they get a decent education. And right now, a lot of them are not for the reasons I think I, I, I shared on this program. John Velardita, Executive Director of the Clark County Education Association, representing workers, uh, educators in Las Vegas and the surrounding areas. Appreciate your time on the program. Thanks, guys. 
Yeah, appreciate right. you. Take care. All right, you too. All right. Yeah, really good stuff. Um, and uh, you know, interesting contrast with uh, like Adam alluded to the situation of educators in Alabama. Was there anything else that you wanted to say on that, the the kind of comparison and contrast piece um, between what they were able to win and uh, the working conditions of Alabama educators, Adam? Yeah, I mean, a, a, a couple of things stand out. The, the fact that they had an active contract campaign, right, with rallies and, and with activity uh, as something that you don't see in Alabama, uh, you don't see very much uh, in the South, I don't believe, broadly uh, in our public schools. Um, the fact that there is an actual contract negotiation, right? The fact that mm. the members have input into the process, right? Uh, by and large, salaries in Alabama, you know, there's a state minimum salary matrix that's set. A lot of the school districts, that's all they pay. Some, all they can afford to pay. Some, that's what they choose to pay. Right, but the state legislature puts that in place. Teachers don't have any input. Um, you know, the Alabama Education Association and other education groups, of course, lobby uh, and, and try to influence it, obviously. But you know, that is not the same as having an up or down vote as a member. That's not right. the same as electing a bargaining team representative uh, to go to the table and represent you and to complete bargaining input. It's just a very different process, a less democratic process. Uh, and so it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, if they build off these uh, contract wins in terms of salaries and, you know, can they recruit and retain people? Um, I totally hear John's argument and agree with John's argument that you gotta pay folks first to get them in the door uh, mm -hmm. before you can start addressing other issues. But working conditions are, really huge and something that uh you know i think probably if we took a, a look we could see in las vegas there are protections in place for teachers that alabama educators would dream of right right and and that is what you see you see a stark difference between what you experience in alabama's public schools mississippi's public schools versus unionized states um you know in alabama a teacher is only allotted 30 minutes of planning time mm. and it's not even called planning time it's just you know free of supervision or, or you know supervision basically 30 minutes where you're not directly supervising kids per day um and there's no enforcement mechanism for that there's no way to you know penalize the employer for violating that so if they put you in meetings all week if they make you cover someone's uh, class during your planning period you know, there's no way to really do much about it. You can file a grievance that, you know, gets nowhere more than likely, uh, because again, what leverage do you have? Uh, and that's just an example. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of stark differences. What it's inspiring for me to see uh, an education association that is being proactive and is trying to push the needle right? They are not just lying down and saying, well, I guess we don't have the right to strike. Oh, well, that was settled 50 years ago. Right. You know, they're actually bringing that back into the public debate and are willing to commit significant resources to fight this fight because it's the right thing to do. And, yeah. you know, that would be a, a welcome change of face in Alabama uh, to see educators organizing, uh, to see them organize in big numbers, uh, to see them actually have political influence and 
um, to proactively shape the agenda and to ask, and well, not just ask, but for de to demand mm. the rights that they ought to have. Uh, why should Alabama educators have less rights than educators in Nevada and Michigan and California? Why? You know, and right. so that's the question we have to look at. Uh, and I want Alabama educators to ask themselves that question. Do you deserve less? And if you believe that you don't, then it's time to organize. Yeah. Appreciate everybody hanging with us. Uh, Jose, Biendia, Peanut Q Public, greetings y'all in solidarity. Um, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, do want to note, uh, give um, Jared in the chat a kudos for helping arrange this interview um the uh there was a teacher from uh, a member of the clark county education association that is in a uh garf garfield group chat on twitter with jared the president of the union at nasa here in huntsville so um appreciate <laughs> appreciate uh that connection and uh, they're interesting coming on the show um <clears throat> garfield bringing workers together yeah indeed brandon good afternoon fellow workers good afternoon brandon uh austin says hey y'all solidarity forever hello austin appreciate everybody tuning in like i said um 844-899-tvlr is the phone number 844-899-8857 if you want to call in uh we've got this clip from webmd um web you know we all know what webmd we've all seen it and seen you know that uh, i've got a headache and and so webmd tells me that i have cancer and i'm gonna die in two days um and uh you know there's there's been this trend of employers trying to bring w workers back into the office trying to in telework um and you know th there was a huge trend for that like about you know, maybe this time last year, I do think it's died down. And I think that a lot of, of office work employers have resigned themselves to accepting the future place of telework in their employment. I think that there's been a lot of resignation on the part of on the part of bosses that at least for the foreseeable future, telework is going to be a big part of the workplace. Uh, but WebMD has not joined that um, that acceptance, uh, and they are bringing people back into the office, and they had a bizarre video accompany, uh, accompanying the uh, return to office announcement. So I'm going to play this for everybody, and we're going to react to it. Ben, let's, let's play this clip. We have been slow in getting back with some people and in some places. That's about to change. Your manager will be in touch with you shortly about how this will be implemented and tracked. Thank you, team. I want to leave you with this. We aren't asking or negotiating at this point. We're informing of how we need to work together going forward. It's, again, for the simple reason that great companies are built by great people working together and seeing each other eye to eye and tackling the big task. Thank you in advance for your help. Oh, 
All right, so there we go. Um, <laughs> did that convince you, Adam, of uh, the value of, of coming back to the office and uh, <laughs> was, how bad it would be to uh, be able to negotiate this return to office with your employer? I'm totally convinced. Like, <laughs> I'm so... I'm what do you need to say after that? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, we mean business, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, they they really they meant it. They meant it, and yeah. I'm picking it up. And so, hey, I'm sold. That's just such a a strange clip. A condescending, obviously. At this point, we're not negotiating. You know, I'm I'm we're just informing you. This is what's happening. Very condescending. Very uh, arrogant and uh, super bizarre song choice. And you know illustrative of the importance of unionization because you can't, you know, in a union workplace, you can't just, the, the employer can't just unilaterally change working conditions without bargaining over it, uh, without negotiating right. over it. Uh, that thing that, um, you know, the CEO was loath to do with his own employees uh, because he doesn't think right. that, you know, they deserve a say in their working conditions or, you know, the uh, the conditions of the environment that they spend the majority of their waking lives, right? Uh, that, he doesn't think that they deserve that. Um, and so, you know, you've got to take that. Uh, you've got to unionize, and you've got to take that. Otherwise, um, your employer is not going to give it to you. Right. So you know what this hits me like? This hits me like the bosses all have a group chat, and they made a little edit or something, <laughs> and they sent it to each other. And then they're like, should we make this the official position of the company? This is absurd. Why are there people yeah. dancing? Like, I, hooray, we're going. Dancing <laughs> to some. What are they dancing? Yeah, for? and what even language was that? Who nice. who got paid to make this? You know, like somebody got paid are, way too fucking much to make that. Is the answer? I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, like I do wonder, like, yeah, how did this idea get cooked up? Was it the boss's group chat? Was it some <laughs> slick consultant? Some slick consultant making like you know ungodly amounts of money per hour? Um, sold yeah, how much this marketing idea? research went into right? The yeah. little clip of people dancing about how they're going to force their employees back to work. Yeah, some joker with a, a degree from like a fancy institution probably <laughs> came up with that. Like, we've got it now. We figured out how to address these. Just tell them they workers. have no choice and then dance about it. Yeah. Right. Hey, you got <laughs> no be so choice. thrown off. They'll gonna... forget the fact that you're being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, super, super wild. But, but you know, I mean, illustrative of, of the importance of unionization because uh, they can't do that to you if you are unionized. They got to negotiate, and uh, you deserve to they be able they to negotiate. They could still make weird videos. Can, now, that is, that is allowed, even in union shops, weird videos from management. But um, Although, I mean, you could, I mean, there's nothing saying that you can't put it in a contract saying you got to no, no fucking weird videos. All videos, <laughs> all videos put out by HR have to be approved by, you know, the executive committee of the union or the, or the workplace safety committee or something like that, right? There you so, go. I there thought I go. had the wrong That's... clip when you loaded this one up because I was just so confused. <laughs> but I was like, did I get the right clip? Because what does this have to do with WebMD? What, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh... So there you go. Maybe that that's something that, that people can consider in their next contract <laughs> negotiations. Uh, prohibition on weird videos. Right. That's ambitious bargaining. <laughs> bargaining for the common good. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
so uh speaking of of you know people being weird uh you know adam you reached out to a local news media outlet you know that um i mean really i i really don't know i mean i i have no idea i had never heard of them before you told me that you reached out to them uh athens now is the publisher do you have any idea of their reach do you think that they actually reach like more people than we do well, they give it away for free at like mm. the dry cleaners okay. and places like that. I so, see. you know, it's that kind of magazine. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I run across it at restaurants or the dry cleaners or, you know, when I'm running errands in town, you know, I see it out and about for free at the little rack by the door. Um, I don't ever see anyone pick it up but me because I'm <laughs> just weird like that and just want to see what they're saying in it. Uh, and I've seen Phil Williams. You're, mm. you're, you're a big fan of Phil Williams. I know you listen to him a yep. lot. Uh, yep. right side radio. Um, I'm a I right believe... side ruffian <laughs> is, uh, what, what his fans are called. So that's, that's the fanboy club. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right side so ruffians. gotcha. Uh, <laughs> got to really ruffle some, be a ruffian around here to be right. Right winger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very counter <laughs> being right wing in the state of it's Alabama. It's hard, man. It's hard. Yeah. They right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wonder how much Coke dollars were spent coming up with that term. Uh, but anyway, probably Alabama wonder Policy if it was the Institute. same consultants that came up with that WebMD video. <laughs> uh, I mean, you you wouldn't you wouldn't be surprised honestly uh as much money is flowing around from some of these billionaires that that back some of these outlets but anyway i've seen phil williams uh getting an article in athens now uh and so i thought well okay if the right wing radio guy has an article what if we did an article about us and so I reached out to the editor just you know with some general information about the valley labor report and was like hey I live in Athens. I'm familiar with your your publication here, and um, there's a labor union radio show in your in your backyard. And labor unions, newsflash, they're a big deal, especially mm -hmm. now, right? Very popular now. Uh, we're kind of uh, in the news a lot, and so just reached out to be like, hey, do you want to do anything? You know, could be an article about the show, could be, you know, an op-ed, whatever. You know, just kept it. Kept it broad, but I thought, you know, one media project to another in North Alabama, why not try to collaborate? Uh, but I did get a, a rejection, um, you know, sad to say it's not the first rejection I've ever received in my life, but um, right. sure it won't be the last, but uh, it was an interesting rejection. She said, we're going to pass on your kind offer for a number of reasons, some involving production. Fair enough. I mean, right. I literally would have just given you a press release to run, but that's fine. <laughs> Copy and paste uh, is so the, tough, though. Yeah. Yeah. The most pertinent is that I endured a poor experience with a hospitality union many years ago. Mm. Then I had the blessing of working 14 years in a non-union house that had better wages, better benefits, a positive work environment, outstanding leadership, and upper mobility. Interestingly, people from the union houses were beating down the door to work in hours. All the best, publisher of Athens Now. 
So that's interesting. She had one bad experience many years ago and has now totally written off all of labor, all of the union movement, um, her one bad experience many years ago. And unfortunately, that's a real thing in our movement, right? Like, right. I have been trying to recruit folks who say, no, I had a bad experience, you know, in 1983 and, mm -hmm. or my dad had a bad experience back in 1973. And, and so that is a real phenomenon that we have to deal with that, you know, people will take one bad experience and then write off everything, right? It could have been one bad local inside of one large union inside of one large movement. Um, that's very possible, right? And, and right. you wouldn't, it's just, you wouldn't do that in other aspects of your life where if you have one bad experience, like you write off an entire industry, for example, right? Like if you go to a concert and have one bad experience, you're not going to necessarily write off like concerts right. forever for your life. Right. And it's the same phenomena you see, though, sometimes with with unions. And it's interesting that people have that approach. Mm. Also, I'm calling BS on that anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, I just find that. I, I, I find that really, really hard to believe um, that there was a non-union shop that was just that much better um, than a than a union shop close by. Um, you know, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. It, it can happen. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a hospitality union and who knows, uh, what the scenario was, but I just think it's interesting that people will write off labor unions because of a bad experience that happened a long time ago. Um, and I've run into a lot of people who are like that and I just don't get it because yeah. Ultimately, unions are the membership. Now, unions are institutions as well with flaws and with leaders who can be flawed. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's up to us as the members to make unions good or bad. Um, and I don't know, I just think it's bizarre to say that one contract experience at one particular local of one particular union of the entire movement of the United States of America is somehow representative of you know that's the end all be all of, of, of everything right. you and now, know about unions. Right. And now because of that I'm not even gonna engage it you know I mean she didn't even ask you you know there weren't any any follow-up questions about like uh you know tell me more about your project maybe I will maybe I won't you know just tell me more about it uh you know give me a phone call I want to you know suss you out um you know uh no engagement at all with uh you know another small local media project uh by a you know a local labor leader you know i mean political coordinator in the state hands union uh trustee on the labor council you know i mean that you know you un undoubtedly you know you're if labor leaders are are a thing and to whatever ever extent that phenomenon is true i mean you know you fit the bill uh you know i'm not even going to engage i'm just going to say like no, without any, you know, any prodding. It's, uh, yeah, super bizarre. Not a very kind of, you know, the media, I think, in its best form is going to be kind of 
curious, you know, you ask questions and that's how you get stories right. A very incurious um, reaction yeah. to your... Um, yeah, and you know, like, I've had bad experiences with media people, but right. unlike this this person, I'm not going to write off every media person ever, uh, mm -hmm. you know, just because of some bad experiences in the past. You know, I've obviously, I, I just met someone in the media who is very incurious, but I'm not going to assume that they're all that way. You're right? never going to apply to another uh, right. newspaper. I, to, I, now that I'm rejected, I guess I should that. never, I should right. never reach what out irks, to anyone ever. What, now, what right? irks me about it is like a union is kind of a democratic system, so you could technically have a pretty conservative quote unquote union and i'm sure a union in alabama is quite different in a lot of ways to like someone far out west or up right. seattle right but you know i've been voting democratically for a long time but my government's pretty uh pretty not the way i want it but i still vote you know what i mean it's like had a bad yeah. experience with democracy around here <laughs> but i'm right. still gonna, i've had a lot I'm of bad experiences do some with democracy, democracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so it was it's kind of funny like yeah, it's just a tiny little thing. Um uh, a free newspaper. Um uh, but yeah, I did think it was interesting uh and it is a phenomenon that's real and I you know, maybe there are people out there listening uh or in the chat who can can help kind of come up with how do we address that because it's something we run into in the field all the time. And I try to, you know, address it the way I have that, you know, people go to a, they have a church service they don't like, they go visit another church, right. or maybe they try another denomination, you know, or maybe they give up religion altogether. That's, that's their choice too. Right. But generally people will not write off a broad category of their existence uh, based off one anecdote. Uh, so it's just weird to to have that approach with labor unions. And obviously there's a vested interest and that is uh, incorporated into union busting and it's incorporated into anti-union talking points, right? It's a common trope. Well, so-and-so had a bad experience back on the, you know, back in the day, right? And so now you can't uh, be open to what labor may have to offer because so-and-so had a bad deal years ago right. um yeah so it's something that that comes up a lot uh i'm not uh heartbroken by the rejection uh i do find it a little questionable the facts um right. but you know more it power to her doesn't change the fact that on average labor union members receive higher wages Labor union members receive better benefits. Labor union members are more likely to receive pensions. Labor union members actually have a voice in their job, in their working conditions, in their pay. Labor union members have just cause. They have due process on the job. They can't just be walked out for any damn reason, right? These are all important. These are important. And just because you may have had a bad experience years ago, that doesn't write off everything. I'm right. sorry you had a bad experience. That sucks. I don't want any worker to have a bad experience with labor unions. And unfortunately, there are a lot who have. And we've got to take ownership of that and accountability of it. Uh, and we have to, you know, repair harm where harm is done. But uh, yeah, that's all I got to say about it. Uh, well, I will live another day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be praying for you. 
Um, appreciate everybody tuning in, uh, Joe and David in the Facebook chat. We've got some more folks in the YouTube chat, Terry and Reese. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for listening. Um, 844-899-TVLR is the phone number, 844-899-8857 if you want to give us a call or leave us a message after we go off the air. Adam, as we are wrapping up the show today, there are there are uh, a, a few just sh- uh, you know shorter stories uh, that you wanted to just kind of uh, j- just ref- you know that we've been we've been thinking about that, that, that we don't have you know it's, it's not like we've got fully fleshed out you know segments prepared but but just some things that that you wanted to make sure that we mentioned before we uh before we wrapped up today yeah a couple of things that were on my mind um i, I want to think about iotsi had a big year this past year um i'm proud to be a member of iotsi local 900 and you know, work as a union stagehand and serve as a political coordinator for the local. Uh, and this has been a big year for the international. There, there was a lot of new organizing in 2023. Uh, we saw organizing in the VFX department, uh, video special effects at Marvel, at Disney. Uh, we saw organizing in the video game industry. Uh, and so uh, I do recommend for those who are IOTC members, check out uh, IOTC.net, go to the publications, uh, they put out an article called um, Five Key Moments from 2023 and kind of lifted up some of these big stories. Uh, something you're not going to find on, on the IATSE website, uh, of course, for obvious reasons, is that there was a reform caucus that went live this past year. Crew, the caucus of rank-and-file entertainment workers. Uh, and so we've seen reform caucuses within unions uh, such as the Teamsters, such as the UAW, such as Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, and we've seen how powerful they can be uh, in, in changing narratives and in changing leaders, changing structures. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, a couple other quick hits. Uh, obviously, as cold as it is uh, with this winter weather we've been dealing with, I do want to remind people that there is the low-income heating uh, low income home energy assistance program, LIHEAP. Uh, so there is assistance out there for folks who whose income is uh, not above 150% of the federal poverty level. Uh, so check out your local community action network, community action partnership, community action agency. I know they run by different names here in Madison County and Limestone County. It's Community Action Agency. Uh, so check those out. Uh, that's how you get some assistance with your heating bills. Uh, I know there are folks listening who may benefit from that. Uh, a couple of wild stories. We're going to talk more next week about child labor and the renewed debate to loosen child labor laws here in Alabama. Uh, And I wanted to lift up an article in Rolling Stone about a very similar uh, thing that's happening in Florida. Uh, The article is titled, Florida Republicans Want to Destroy Restrictions on Teenage Labor. Nikki Ramirez wrote the article. Uh, I do recommend you check that out, see what's happening down there. Uh, And last thing, which is a wild, wild story, 215 people have been buried behind a Mississippi jail since 2016, according to uh, a civil rights attorney. And basically, there there was families of people in Mississippi who 
were being notified well after time or not being notified at all uh, that their loved ones had died. Uh, and there was a mass grave behind a Mississippi jail. Uh, and, you know, this has been discovered, hundreds of bodies, uh, you know, it's just a wild story. And so, you know, we talked today about the prison labor lawsuit in Alabama. Uh, unfortunately, conditions in Mississippi really aren't that much better, if at all. Uh, and so that was a really crazy story I wanted to highlight as well. All right. Well, uh, I think that will be it for us this week. Uh, going to be a little bit shorter on overtime, but not much. Appreciate everybody tuning yeah. in. Um, um, I do want to mention a couple of the events. Uh, I got a yeah. chance to um, to run through those real quick at the end of the main show. But for those of you who are local in particular, uh, I want to highlight some events that are going on in the area. Um, lots of important opportunities, ways to get involved. Uh, you know, we do this show not just to get the message out, but hopefully to get people to get activated, right? And to and to do something, to be in motion. Uh, we want to see working people active and, and taking our destiny into our own hands. And so kind of in that vein, I do want to recommend the Labor Notes trainings that, that are up, uh, labornotes.org slash events. Um, race and Labor, the first session was on the 16th. So if you missed that, you really missed out this month. Uh, I'm sure they'll bring it back. But I do want to mention Tuesday, January 30th, is going to be uh, their stewards workshop. This is for mm. investigating grievances. Uh, so that will be really good for, for those of you who are stewards or are interested in serving in that role. Uh, the Madison County Legislative Delegation is holding its annual forum on Monday night, the 22nd, from 6.30 to 8.30. It's at the Huntsville City Council Chambers. Uh, if you want to sign up to speak for three minutes, get there at 6.00. The event will be televised and streamed via the City of Huntsville's channel, and all of the legislators who cover even a bit of Madison County are expected to be there. So this is a you know, really important opportunity to speak up for working people in front of some key elected officials, as well as what's probably going to be a packed room full of our neighbors. So if you're a union member who would like to speak, you know, hit up myself, hit up Jacob, let's coordinate and chat about it. Uh, on that note, the Labor Council, we're holding our meeting Tuesday night, uh, 6 o'clock in Madison. So delegates from local unions across the area are going to meet and strategize for the year ahead. Uh, Jacob's got some guests coming from other Labor Councils to talk about their success. So if you're a union member, even if your local is not affiliated, you are still invited. Uh, definitely come on out uh, because we need to work together to put together you know, a working people's agenda here in the Tennessee Valley. Uh, and then lastly, I have a couple of events with Alabama Arise. I'm going to do a virtual issue preview on the 24th at 12 o'clock, kind of a lunch and learn sort of thing. So if you're available at 12, hop on Zoom. Uh, you can email me at adam at alarise.org. We're going to be talking about the 2024 issue priorities and, you know, how they could bring a better state for all of us. Uh, and if you're interested in learning how to get more involved, how to be an advocate, how to uh, bring change on the state policy level, I have an advocacy training on January 29th uh, at the downtown Huntsville Library, and that's going to be from 530 to 7. Again, 
uh, adam at alarise.org. Uh, shoot me an email if you have any questions or to RSVP. Uh, would love to see some of y'all there. All right. And with that, it's going to wrap it up for us today, folks. Appreciate your time. Uh, like us on the stream before you leave if you're watching us live uh, and give us five stars wherever you are listening if you're listening to us on a podcast particularly those of you who are listening on Apple let's get those numbers up uh, that's right until next week and see you oh I was just gonna say Jacob have we announced that we've got over a million views on YouTube I don't know if, I don't yeah know. I don't know if we have or not but yeah we've hit a, we've hit over a, we've broken a million views on YouTube yeah so thank you so yeah, really appreciate all of the support, uh, the liking, the sharing, the commenting, it all makes a difference. Uh, so thanks y'all. Appreciate your, your time and appreciate your attention. See you next week.